Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Roy Dean. I'm a seeker, teacher, reader, writer, martial artist, a warrior in this world trying to make his way. There are conversations that we need to have, conversations about ideas. Welcome to the conversation. Let's listen in. Welcome, everybody. I'm here with my good friend, Rick Ellis. Rick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Roy. Thanks for having me. Dude, it's nice to have you on, and uh, congratulations on the opening of your new school. Thank you. Um, can you, yeah, just talk about that, just um, the new school and the vision, and yeah, let me know. Yeah, it's been a, a whirlwind last six weeks. We relocated to a new town. I took over a space. We had carpentry done, paint, mats, the whole thing. And it's been quite a, quite a quick turnaround, but we made it happen. So launching a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy, um, I think is something that a lot of people might secretly want to do. Um, and talk a little bit about your thought process with launching your own academy, picking a location, and you know, and just kind of your your overall vision for what you want to create in Wyoming. Well, I think as an overarching principle, a life principle, it's that no matter how much fear you feel, you need to just turn that off and do it. And I've done that many mm. times in my life. I've, I've reinvented my life several times. I've started companies. I've done you know, a lot of different things. And there's a certain amount of, of fear, of trepidation. You question yourself. You wonder, am I good enough? Do I really know what I'm doing? It happened when I started a software company. Uh, I was not a programmer. I knew just enough to, to you know, be emboldened by that and think that maybe I could do it. And so you just have to turn that off and you have to do it. So. Um, you know, when the thought crossed my mind of opening Academy, of course, you know, you, you begin that, that dialogue and you say, oh, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not tough enough. Maybe I'm this, maybe, maybe, you know, whatever, but you just have to turn that off. And for me, really the motivating factor was I enjoyed training at RDA at Roy Dean Academy in Oregon for those four years. And it was such a transformative experience and it was such an incredible place that ever since then I've missed it. I've missed that environment. I've missed, um, you know, the kind of environment that you were able to create in which you had a huge cross section of people. You had guys like, um, oh, what was it? his last name was Burr. What was his, um, oh my, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, Ray, not Raymond. Uh, oh God! I, um, yes. Anyway, yes. he was he Mr. was in Burr. his Mr. Burr. Yeah, yeah Richard Burr. So, uh, anyway, he was he was in his seventies. This guy, and then you had guys like Byron Higginbotham, who's a super parkour crazy athlete. You had women. You had people of all cross sections, and you managed to integrate all that in a way where people were able to get what they wanted out of the art. Because for most people, this is a hobby. It's not your life avocation and you know at a lot of jujitsu academies it's a really hard environment and they want to be the toughest place and they push their guys super hard and not that you couldn't get that at Roy Dean Academy I mean if you're a super stud there are other super studs there that you could get that experience with but that wasn't the only experience you could get there if you're an older guy or an older gal or you know, maybe you had physical disabilities or maybe, you know, whatever, whatever the case, you found a way to be integrated in that environment. And so I missed that. I missed the incredible focus on technique. I mean, technique is everything. And when I first started training under you, it almost felt overwhelming. I thought, man, this guy's showing like five techniques a night. And, but there was a method to your madness. And you start seeing the cycles of those techniques come back around and come back around and come back around the fundamental movements, the positional escapes, the, you know, the, the bread and butter kind of stuff. Those things are on tight loops and they keep coming back around the more esoteric techniques. They work their way in once in a while, you know, 
And over time, it's amazing how fast and how much you can develop technically and how broad a game you can develop. And depending on your personality, your physical attributes, your mental attributes, how you see the world, whether you're mellow, whether you're aggressive, you could find a way to integrate the techniques that fit within your game. And what I noticed pretty much everywhere I trained was that the instructor's game was always the student's game. If the instructor played a tight, you know, kind of crushing game, all the students played the tight crushing game. Whereas at Roy Dean Academy, man, it's crazy. You had people that played inverted guard. You had people that played the crushing game. You had people that, you know, did whatever. And it really, for me, it was a very, very unique environment, unlike anywhere I've trained since. And I missed it. And I thought, you know, I'm not as skilled as you. I'll never be as skilled as you, um, you know, but maybe in my own small way, I can try to replicate that sort of sense of, of, uh, you know, place where everybody can, can show up and train and, and get out of it what you want to get out of it. That sounds like a, <clears throat> that sounds like a really great vision and a feeling that you're trying to recreate with your own, um, home dojo, home academy, home environment that you're bringing to that local community. Um, and it could think, be, you know, it could I be, I think it's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it could be in part that wherever you have your very first jujitsu experience, in a way, that becomes part of your DNA. You know what I mean? If you come up in, you know, an MMA gym that's super tough, well, maybe that gets embedded into how you see the world, how you see training, how you think that training should be. You know what I mean? And so maybe part of it was yeah. just the, the fact that I came up in that environment in Oregon that was so unique, but whatever the case, I, it, it's, you know, I was looking for that again and, you know, hopefully we can, we can make that happen here. So tell me about the look of your academy and the kind of aesthetic, um, <clears throat> the professional environment that you want to create visually. Well, I'm a designer, essentially. I, I was a musician mm -hmm. growing up. Uh, I became a sound designer and a recording engineer in LA. And in fact, that's what connected you and I, because we met, you were teaching, um, you're teaching a seminar. seminar, you're teaching a seminar. And, you know, I wandered over next to you on the man. I said, yeah, so you're from San Diego. So what do you do? And you said, well, I'm a sound designer. And I'm like, oh, wow, I used to be a sound designer and a recording engineer in LA. And that you know, kind of started a whole series of similarities in us, you know, our backgrounds, we have, you know, share a, a ton of similarities. And uh, yeah, so and that, that, by the way, that I was blown away. I was, I was like, what? I, I, I couldn't believe I was like, not only did he know what a sound designer was, but he used to be one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah in what LA, are the, what are the at a higher level? Yeah, what yeah are the, totally. What are the odds of that? So I think that, you know, back to aesthetic, I think that you know, everything that I, I do in my life, whether it's um, decorate a house, whether it's create a website, whether it's write software, everything has to have beauty. And of course that's subjective, but you know, I strive for something that's, that has a sense of space, a sense of proportion, a sense of symmetry, that has uh, colors that can, you know, trigger emotion. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, sort of thought process that goes in, into a lot of this stuff. And so what I wanted to do, and, and you, you know, you, you have a lot of those, that same sort of thrust and your mm -hmm. academy was this beautiful Zen place that, you know, you walk into some academies and it's just dirty and smelly and, and, and whatnot. And your, yours was like this oasis of just Zen, you know, even you even had bonsai plants, which is way beyond where I'm going with <laughs> with this. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah. So in, in that sense, I'm I'm trying to, again, sort of recreate the experience of RDA, which was a really beautiful professional environment. And so we've got white mats. It's all monochromatic, just black and white. Uh, the color touches are Elio's picture and the logo and, you know, that sort of thing. And it's a tiny little space. I, I, you know, I, you know, as a business principle, you got to start small. So many people get way overextended. Mm. They try to build way too big. So, 
Um, too big, too fast. Too big, too fast. And and you did the same thing. You found a little space, a little karate studio initially, and that's kind of how you started. Exactly. And then you're downtown. You're in Laramie, Wyoming, and you ended up going from a, kind of an industrial area, which typically a lot of whatever CrossFit gyms, um, a lot of BJJ places are in industrial or mixed use areas. Yeah. Um, in lieu of going to downtown, super high visibility. Yeah, a little retail space, tiny little space, huge visibility on First Street, right next to the railroad tracks. I mean, it's kind of in the old historic part of Laramie, and the amount of people that walk by or drive by that space every single day is huge. So it was a good decision, even though the space was smaller. Initially, I was looking at a more industrial space that was bigger that could give me more elbow room initially, but. Uh, it's all good. I'm I'm really happy with the choice. Yeah. Um. Can you talk about uh, the name Third Way Jiu Jitsu? Well, that sprang from actually, you know, conversations with you. You know, you'll recall that we became good friends in 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 band, and we used to spend hours just shooting the breeze or brainstorming or or you mm-hmm. know pl- planning creative stuff or whatever. Or and, sneaking out of uh, Kawasaki's. Uh, yeah, like yeah, his his seminar. <laughs> so, <laughs> the idea, and maybe some of this came from your Aikido background, which is this idea of blending with your opponent. And you mm-hmm. don't hear that in jujitsu too much. In Brazilian jujitsu, um, sometimes the thought process is much more linear, right? You need to pass the guard, or you need to, you know, it's more direct. Whereas in in other arts like Aikido, it's the idea of blending. And to me, when you watch a surfer, for example, riding a wave, right? All they can do is blend with the wave. You can't control the wave. You can't redirect the wave. You can't do anything. All you, ha- you, you, know, all you can do is blend with the wave. And so, um, so let me back up. So there's essentially three responses. If somebody attacks you, if someone punches you or pushes you or, or grabs you or whatever that is, on this fundamental level, it's just a kinetic transfer of energy, right? You're pushing into me, mm. your energy is being transferred to me. Now, there are three responses, there are three ways that I can deal with that. I can resist it, I can redirect it, or I can flow with it, I can blend with it. And so resisting obviously is the most innate, we do it naturally, someone tries to grab you, you resist, but that's very much based on physical attributes. The stronger person will generally win that. Uh, in jujitsu, obviously, you learn to resist in purposeful ways. You create structures and all that, but that's a higher level implementation of resistance. Redirection is uh, the next sort of level up where you, you know, someone throws the punch and I push it out of the way, right? You're redirecting the energy. You're not meeting it head mm-hmm. on. You're finding a pathway there. And then the highest, w- what I think is, kind of the highest expression of that is the third way, which is to become part of that energy. And again, the surfer analogy, the surfer can't redirect the wave. He can't resist the energy of the wave. All he can do is flow, flow within the wave. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I, to me, what we're training for, what we're trying to achieve with our jujitsu is this perfect ability to integrate with whatever energy someone brings to you. And, you know, I don't mean it in like this Zen kind of, you know, sort of uh, new agey sort of way, but I mean it in a very literal sort of way. If someone's pushing you, I I fall into that pocket and integrate within that. And, you know, I'm not great at that yet, but it's something that I'm, that I'm striving to become myself. And the thing is, as time goes on, um, you get better and better at, at um, blending in those pockets and, you know, being able to, to redirect, like blend and redirect, and I mean, there's very, very, very little opposition, direct opposition. Occasionally, you block stuff, but right. you know that feeling of completely blending with your opponent it brings a lot of joy. Yeah, I've had you know I'm I'm teaching up here in Alaska right now, uh, guest instructor at my friend's school. I'm really enjoying uh, the time here, and there's kind of a, a glee I spar with some of these guys and they're just like you know in those little pockets where they give me something 
and then I capitalize and maybe reverse the position. They they love it, and yeah. I love it when they love it. You know, there there's something very special about that, and I kind of I wanted to be able to do that when I was younger. You know, like whatever blue belt, um, but it just wasn't there yet. I had to put more time in so I could really um, be able to like feel that and have my yeah. body know what to do. And I think. You know, speed, as speed and power go down, the ability to emphasize those moments increases as time goes on. The timing, the sensitivity, the technical know-how of where to direct someone and their common responses. Yeah. Uh, I, I, think that's, I think that's something you have to look forward to um, and I with think operating a, your own space. And I think as a practical matter, you can't learn how to blend, how to, you know, how to implement these different strategies if your training environment is a hundred percent intensity all the time because you can't blend with that uh in in the initial stages because you're not good enough yet and so what happens is you know i think it's counterproductive to people's progress intensity i think is the is one of the things that is counterproductive to one's development. The higher the intensity, the slower you're gonna develop because the windows of opportunity open and they close. They're too small, you can't fit in there. You don't have enough time to practice the moves that you're learning in class and integrate within that. And so if you can slow the game down, and again, this is these are things that I remember getting at Roy Dean Academy. And you know, there was a fluidity to my game, even at Purple Belt at Roy Dean Academy that I think I've lost, to be honest with you. I'm tougher. Mm. I, I could kick my own ass, right? The, the, the me of today, I could tap mm. the guy I was then, but, it's, but I'm not doing it in a prettier way. And so for my own personal development, I always felt like, man, I want to get back to an environment where we can really learn to implement technique at low levels of resistance and then you scale that up slowly so that you can eventually flow and blend and integrate at high intensity you can't just jump jump to that point yeah it's too big of a gap you know it it really helps to have training partners and a learning environment where you hold the window open see what it feels like okay head this direction through the window okay now you've done it and then you can start gradually start to like bring that window a little bit closer to closed, but still open, and give people that confidence. Because if they don't get, if it's just failure, 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 yeah. then they say, well, that blending stuff doesn't work. I'm just gonna have to go with stronger or faster, um, or just out, outlast the guy, more intensity, you know, yeah. beat him down. Um, I, I think something is lost if you don't use a slightly cooperative training methodology to be able to set up the stage for higher level development later. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And you're not training for longevity. I mean, if the goal is to be on the mats till you're 70, you have to be able to train in that way because, it, you know, turn it into a movement based art rather than a strength and power based art because those things diminish and if your entire game is based on that man you'll just you'll get injured as you get older and i you know it's happened to me how young are you at the moment sir (laughs) i am a (laughs) youthful 53 53 53 and i am uh, a rather ganky and uh youthful 42 yeah and dude confessions of the aging athlete it's there's a time when you can just be a complete athlete and that's you know you want to be told what to do you want to see if you can um use your willpower and be able to focus like a laser and accomplish a specific goal but later it's dude it's just more about the enjoyment that the art gives you and the chess game and the you know and all these things and the social camaraderie and you know and that's all what, of these, all and that's of these what real, want. really human elements. That's what most people want. I mean, when you're 20, you want to be the toughest guy around. But if you want jujitsu to be a lifelong pursuit, I mean, Elio was on the mats the day before he died at 90 something, right? 
if, if that's if that's how you want to do it what a beautiful you know what a beautiful art and but you have to mm-hmm. modify your training and you know make it about movement make it about blending flowing redirecting tapping into the higher expressions of the art that require less power and all that and that's you know that's what i'm training for and i've got a long way to go but you know here we are here we are Uh, you know i think there's another related area to that and that is um i did it just the other day in class it i I gave, I just, you know, I kind of played uke. I took a submission inspiring if it was there, but basically, you know, you're coaching the guy. You're, no, let's go back. Let's take advantage of that opportunity. Um, You know, not giving it to them unless they actually get really good technique, but like guiding, that kind of guidance uh, goes hand in hand with the blending. And there's 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 an underside there that's a little bit invisible, but if you allow yourself to get into vulnerable positions and coach people through um, and split that difference where you're not just passive and you're not just laying there, but being able to actively resist and engage with them, yet still leading them to success, you get better at those inferior positions. You know, being able to escape out of technical mount or S mount or, you know, yeah. I let people pass my guard all the time. And then one of my side mount escapes has gotten so money since then. Um, you know, it's that's the new game. That's the new game. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and I re- I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. And just games within the game, you know, and, and it gets deeper and and more enjoyable. And um, I don't know. It's there. There is something about that um, cooperative blending attitude that extends in the training and not just in an individual technique. Yeah, and you know, I appreciate going back to Roydean Academy. One of the things that I appreciated training under you, and not to make this just such a sappy love fest. People are going to be uh, <laughs> feel feel free, feel free. People are grabbing tissues. I know right now. I know we need some some uh, emotional music. So one of the things that I appreciated was that you always whoever you rolled with, you gave them an, an experience um, that was suitable for their level. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're rolling with a blue belt. You can crush the blue belt. You don't need to prove that you can crush the blue belt. You play cat and mouse. You get them locked up in a position, you leave a little bit of room so they can escape, then you transition, and it's, you know, this sort of thing. And you're both getting something out of that. And I think that philosophy as a leader of the academy had a profound effect on everybody within that academy. And so you saw a lot of this sense of, hey, if I'm better than the guy that I'm rolling against, I need to tailor my game to something that is not overwhelming for this guy and do it in a way that we can both get something out of it. I can practice my offense. I can keep, you know, escaping, getting into, getting into uh, dominant positions. Then I let him escape. Then I transition, get into another dominant position. He can escape. We've both gotten something out of the role. We're both learning. We're both growing. Um, and you know, that's what I'm trying to do here as well. And, you know, we just started a week ago and I've been rolling with these these young white belts, and same thing. I'm trying to to just okay. What have we been covering in class? We've been covering you know basic fundamental escapes, side mount escape, mount escape, guard pass, back escape. Mm. I'm going to put these guys into those positions, not lock it up super tight, allow them to escape. Now I can transition to something else, and it's great for me. It's great for my own development, right? Jigoro Kano, mutual welfare and benefit. Mm-hmm. And I, I I think people have never heard that quote sometimes, uh, but that's where it's at. That's where it's at. And to have somebody give that to you when they don't have to, it, yeah. you know, as you said, they could crush you, but they're trying to nurture you as they hopefully have been nurtured. Um I mean, that's that's a very easy thing to want to pay forward. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think we're in a new we're in a new phase with jujitsu. Um, 
you know, I've been in the game a long time. Now you've been in the game a long time. We're old school methods. You know, they're okay. They're okay. And I definitely think there's something to keeping a self-defense mindset in some of the uh, jujitsu that you practice at the academy or wherever. Um, I think a a little of that awareness helps kind of keep it real. But... Yeah, it's not just about crushing people and making them come back and prove they're tough. You know, those aren't the people that need the people that can survive that physical hazing. Aren't the people that need jujitsu usually? They're already tough. Yeah, amen. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and you've reminded me something else that was part of your philosophy that that I missed as well is you always preached the idea of leaving uh, of 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 allowing your students to leave class with something left in the tank because the probability that they'll come back tomorrow increases drastically, right? If you, mm-hmm. if you just make class so intense, you've got the hard warm up. you're doing squats and burpees and you're just going through this, you know, CrossFit style workout. And then, you know, it's an hour of hard sparring. You leave that environment, most people, right? If you're 20, that's fine. You can take six hours a day of that stuff, but most people can. Once you hit 30, people have careers. They don't want to go to to work the next day with their face abraded and their neck tweaked and, and all that. So if you put people through that every time they train, you're going to limit drastically the number of hours they can train a week. And over the course of a year or two years or five years or 10 years, the guy that came to class four days, five days a week, and it was a little bit less intense, he is going to eclipse by orders of magnitude the dude that came to two classes a week and went super, super hard. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't go hard. That's part of it, too. Occasionally, you need to really push yourself. You need to feel what it's like to go beyond where you think you can you can go. Competition is a great vehicle for that. Um, your belt demonstrations, you know, forcing people to really dig deep and push hard. And occasionally, you've got those hard training sessions. That's part of it, too. But mm-hmm. if it's if it's every single night... Guys just don't show up to train. They just don't show up very often, right? And again, that's part of it too. Well, credit goes to uh, Carlson uh, Gracie Sr. for that. Um, that was that was something that I had read and then became self-evident that that is a much better approach. Um, you know, I, I definitely believe in, I think the intensity that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu can create in its training method is one of its huge strengths but people sharpen the knife so much that they end up whittling down their own knife <laughs> wow you know what a, what a great way to so yeah i it, it's um anyways moderated intensity as i get older i, I realize uh you know it's about controlling the stimulus you need the stimulus to grow but if you overstimulate yourself then it takes longer to recover. It's just you're not getting the full benefit. And if you're understimulating, then you're not getting any benefit at all or very, very mild. So just like finding that sweet spot. Yeah. And the thing is, when, when you're really, you know, brown belt, black belt, I mean, to some extent, purple belt, but at brown belt, black belt, you can really kind of temper uh, how intensely you spar what kind of experience you want to create. Uh, sometimes you want to dominate just to save energy. Right. You, 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 you know, and sometimes you, you play uh, a very loose uh, kind of game and you can throttle it. You know, oh, I need to make a comeback here. It felt good to like flush the system mm-hmm. and be able to escape a position, pass the guard and get a dominant position. And then that may have been like the whole victory there. You let yourself get in a bad position and you just flush the system. And there, there's something really beautiful it feels so good but you can moderate that you know Knowing when it's not all line. or nothing yeah and and so i i really feel i think that's going to be the new thing is being able to just moderate that stimulus uh, it's easier you need to be guided into that as like a white belt through purple belt moderating that stimulus so you get you know you're safe uh you get a little bit of that jujitsu rush but not too much you know 
and then and then later you choose your own adventure and yeah. you regulate your training and yeah. it's it's a very different experience I, it's pretty amazing how it shifts from white belt um all the way through the ranks to black belt i mean your experience shifts markedly oh totally uh, at each belt yeah and that's yeah, interesting I mean, and, and Sorry. Yeah, go ahead, please. Uh, that, that's interesting that you said Carlson Gracie Sr. preached that because people think of Carlson as like, okay, that's the Pitbull logo. How many MMA fighters did he produce and how tough was, was that guy's lineage? But, yeah, and they're known for a crushing top pressure game, you know? But yet, but yet he did profess that and I really, I think that should be promulgated a little bit more widely through the jiu-jitsu community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, how do you feel about, um, you've had a little bit of surgery, not a nip and tuck, um, <laughs> you know, for, for anything cosmetic. Just to make fa- that clear. Is, but, is my face a little obvious? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's not excessively youthful. I thought it was very tasteful. But, I mean, you had a back thing, you had a shoulder thing. Can you talk about that? Uh, I think a lot of other people out there have been through that, are coming back from it, or might need a little of that, um, but they're afraid to go through with it. Yeah. Can you share? Well, injuries are part of it. You can't train a sport at a you know fairly high level without the occasional injury it it happens part of part of it you know you need to become good at assessing what does the injury mean is it just a little tweak or you know and a lot of times the impulse is to try to train through injuries sometimes you can do it successfully i've done it many times successfully you can learn new things it can open new new doorways sometimes not so successfully and so I, I was wrestling with this guy who was a collegiate wrestler, really aggressive, really, you know, and I was trying to match that. And boom, blew a disc out in my back. And initially I just took a couple months off. I thought, oh, I'll just rehab it. I'll swing some kettlebells. I'll, you know, get in better shape. And I came back a couple months later and, you know, first roll of the night, boom. The, the back went again. Uh, I don't, it was never healed, right? And then it was really bad. Mm-hmm. It was pressing on the sciatic nerve. I lost all strength in my calf. I couldn't lift up on one toe on my toes and they, they had to they had to go in and hack it out. And you know, it that, that was a year of my life. I was off the mats for a year. Same thing when I tore my, the rotator cuff in my shoulder. And again, it had been sore for months, my, my shoulder. I kept going to class, I kept training and just thinking, okay, it'll work itself out. And then one day I got up and it was excruciating to put on my shirt and I thought, okay, well, maybe I should take, I'll, I'll take a couple weeks off. And you know, next thing you know, it, it uh, required surgery. And I had some doubts. After I tore my rotator cuff, I had doubts whether I would even come back. I remember having this conversation with you saying, man, I think I might be done with jujitsu. It's two, two back to back injuries. And, uh, you know, it's, mm-hmm. but it's a funny thing. Your body starts feeling better again. And there's an addictive quality to jujitsu, man. It's especially if you're nerdy, no. if you're, if you're, you know, I'm, I'm kind of nerdy. I'm kind of a creative nerd and there's something about yeah. jujitsu that just well, you go deep. You go deep, man. It just appeals to, to you know, on a deep level. So I, I, I had to come back. And again, that's, you know, part of doing my own thing, too, is creating the kind of environment where injuries are not, you know, not, uh, you're not, you're not quite as prone to injury because you're not just pushing so you're hard. You're not in those positions anymore. Yeah. Mm, but I would say yeah, to people, what, you know, you, you just can't. You just have to stay in it mentally. You know, you get an injury, watch DVDs, watch watch class, keep hanging out with your friends. You know, it's there there are ways to train through that in non-physical ways. 
and you, that's just what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Rick, you've done um, a lot of really cool branding in your time, whether with your you know software company or some of the other ventures that you've done. Um, also helping me with uh, RDA and the website, and you know, I mean, you've always been um, some of that I consulted when it came to branding and um, getting your message out there in a clear, effective, and tasteful way. Yeah. So. Could you go into branding and and what you look for uh, when you're designing something new? Well, I have a bunch of rules. And so I think the mistake that people make when they start a local company, let's say you decide to open a barbershop, right? And you want to call it Extreme Barbershop. And so what do you do? You look in the phone book, mm-hmm. you look around. Is there another extreme barbershop in town? No. Okay, cool. That's who I'm going to be. And you don't really think beyond that. But today, everything's connected. I mean, you know, you have to think globally. You cannot think mm-hmm. locally. And so one of the big mistakes, well, here, I'll just kind of go through my rules. Uh, rule number one is is the name that you've chosen for your business or your venture or your product, is it free of existing trademarks, right? Most people don't even bother Mm -hmm. to check. Is there someone else using that name? Odds are just about anything you come up with is gonna be, uh, is gonna have some kind of trademark encumbrance. In fact, probably the first 50 things you're gonna think of are are not gonna be free and clear. Um, Number two, are there existing products or companies with that name? Um, you know, product singularity, I think, is critical. The name that you choose should be associated with you and you alone. You should be able to do a Google search and have it return nothing under that name until you hit town, right? And, uh, you know, this happened the other day. I, I just ran into, I, I met someone who owns a, a local web design company and they gave me their card and I looked them up and I'm like, wait a minute, this name sounds familiar to me and I Google it and of course, it's some monster giant web firm, not the, this person that I met, they chose the same name. So if you Google that no. name, you're gonna get 500 results for this mega firm and not not a single one for them. And so again, they've broken rule mm-hmm. number two. Are there existing products or companies with that name? Uh, you wanna be singular. And that today takes so much work. I've labored with all the products I've named and stuff. Man, sometimes it takes six months of brainstorming, brainstorming, brainstorming to find something that is completely free and clear. Number three, mm-hmm. will there be market confusion with products or companies that have a similar name? Right. I mean, that's a slight variation on on the other concept. But, you know, if you're launching a burger restaurant, you probably don't want to call it McDougal's. You know what I mean? It it needs to be something that that McDowell's McDowell's all the way. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Next, uh, are all the top level domains available? Right. If you're a business, you want to own the dot com, the dot net and the dot org. Now, you know, it might be overkill, but. I don't want somebody to coattail on my business idea. I'm thirdwayjujitsu.com. I own the .net and I own the .org. I don't want somebody, again, to coattail in. It happens all the time. Every product that I've developed, people copy. They, you know, Most people are not particularly original. So um, you have to stake your claim and you have to at least grab those, those main domains. Um, what else? Uh, oh, d- does Google return zero or nearly zero results for that name? Again, you know, product singularity, and I think I mentioned that earlier, but you want to be able to Google mm-hmm. it, nothing comes up. Um, does the name lend itself to the creation of a strong brand? Right? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, people choose some god awful names. I mean, let's say, <laughs> uh, I mean, let's say your name is John Fred Smith, right? Don't call your company mm-hmm. JFS Enterprises. I mean, that's, you know, it's lame. It's lame. Come up with something that is descriptive of what you do, something that's catchy, something that can that can go on a bumper sticker, something that can, uh, you know, serve as uh, something that can fit in a small place, 
right? On a, on a sticker or on your business card, or it can roll oh, off the yeah, tongue easier. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and lastly, is the, is the name descriptive of, of what the product is or does, right? And, and again, this is right. just, you know, you want to choose something that has some sort of semblance. Not, not that that is necessarily followed by everybody. I mean, Google, what, what is Google, right? It's a made-up word, and, right. but now it means something because because it's it's uh, successful but so yeah that's kind of my my mental checklist that I go through when I try to come up with a, a brand and you have to also accept that whatever you come up with first you cannot fall in love with it because odds are you it's not gonna work you have to just keep oh that's the hard the process part, yeah. I had one good idea yeah. I had one good idea can't believe yeah no that non-attachment coming up with stuff and you can't it's it's your creation you can't help but get attached to it a little bit but then but then when it returns uh, that's kind of an unbelievable story with the website guy yeah you know well you know and, it happened and, and to major me. and for oh, so with w- with what one of um so when i was developing expression engine which is a software app that we we develop the working name for it during development was x engine and i fell in love with that name and I didn't bother to even look. I just called it that during development. You know, dummy me. Mm-hmm. I, I was I wasn't that experienced back then. <laughs> but so a year later, in my mind, it's X Engine. And of course, in the meantime, someone had registered the domains and had to. You know, I I wasn't. You know, uh, again, I wasn't that smart in those days. So, but but it can happen. You can fall in love with something that's mm-hmm. that that you just need to let go because it's not good. So let's let's touch on belt demonstrations because that was one of the unique things about RDA and controversial, you know, really controversial. Definitely putting it out there, making it open source. Like these are my standards. This is what I do, yeah. and um, and the fact that I would tap to my students. I mean that that definitely got a little um, some quizzical comments uh, when it went online. <laughs> Um, so what did you, what did you think? What did you think of that, that controversial move? I think there has to be an objective way to measure what a belt means. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't criticize any instructor. If you just want to hand out a belt, that that's fine. I, I, I don't have a problem with it, but I do think that we live in a bit of a a participation trophy culture now where, where nobody wants to be tested. They don't want to be held to an objective measurable standard for what something means. And so a couple mm. things. One is that the belt demonstration, number one, forces you to demonstrate for the world, for your family, to your teammates, that you have a certain level of proficiency in demonstrating a fairly wide repertoire. Um, and then obviously there's a sparring component. You have to be able to prove it in a, in a kind of objective, um, dynamic way through sparring. Um, so I, I think it was phenomenal. And number two, people don't realize how much it improves your game to know that you have to show techniques six weeks from now in front of everybody to see. I, my game has never felt as sharp or as crisp as the day after my belt demonstration because I just spent the last two months drilling and drilling and drilling, shoring up all the holes, thinking, okay, I've got to demonstrate uh, you know, six sweeps, four guard passes, five throws, you know, whatever. I, my list of techniques that I have to demonstrate, I better have this stuff sharp. And there's also the fact that you've watched other people do belt demonstrations and everybody wants to do the best one. And so there's kind of that additional pressure. That is so true. Oh, dude. That is so true. They kept escalating, uh, upping and upping and upping the ante. Oh, it kept it kept escalating. And by the way, I, I hold the distinction. I was the very first demo that you put on YouTube. It was my blue belt test. And... And then they kept getting better and better and better. And you watch some of these, I mean, Byron's and some of these guys, I mean, they were brilliant. Just, I I couldn't match Mm -hmm. that. But there's something about the development and you wouldn't, it wasn't like you would spring the test on someone from one day to the next. You would say, look, dude, you're ready. You're at this level. Two months from now on Saturday, you're doing a test. And guys would 
get nervous, man. They'd start doing hill sprints. They'd start, you know, it sharpening that sword and getting ready to go. And as a as a way to periodically sharpen the sword and get your game tight, man, it's unbeatable. So I'm a huge fan of that. Mm. Do you um, do you want to share anything about you recorded so many of these and yeah. you have recorded a lot of I, I list you on Amazon. I list you as director sometimes, sometimes I as cinematographer uh, for, you know, whatever blue belt requirements, um, you know, Nogi Essentials. That was kind of a groundbreaking uh, DVD. Yeah. I don't think there'd ever been a more kind of direct, friendly, personable, in-your-face recording of um, martial arts instruction before. I mean, you really followed me. Yeah. You, we, were, we were close. That was, that was a different thing. Um, talk about recording and the art of recording jiu-jitsu and movement. Well, you know, being OCD like I am, I, everything I get into, I have to get really into. And so we, we did blue belt requirements and the camera was on a tripod. And then we started thinking, okay, how can we make this better? What can we do? Mm-hmm. Hey, maybe, maybe we should handhold and follow the action because the challenge of filming jujitsu is a technique starts on one side and the next thing you know, you're filming someone's butt, you know, it's, mm-hmm. so you have to be able to follow the action. And I think that Nogi essentials, we really dialed that in. I mean, I was so proud of that when we got done with that because again, mm. yeah, I, I agree. I don't think anyone has done it like that to where everything is tightly framed and the camera is just flowing and following the action. Again, blending, right? You're, you're just flowing with whatever mm. movement is happening at the time. And then brown belt requirements, black belt requirements, those are, are really beautiful too. And we follow the same format. And again, we're just, you know, figuring it out as we went along. I'm not a, I'm not a videographer. I'm just a, a nerd who bought a camera and tried to get good at using it. <laughs> you're, you're better than, than many. Trust me. Trust me yeah. on that. Well, jujitsu is difficult. And you know, what's funny is I, I, I was the guy behind the camera on your, on your second degree black belt and on your third degree black belt. On the third degree black belt, one of the YouTube comments near the top, the guy says, hey, you know, the rolling was phenomenal, but, you know, equally impressive. Credit has to be given. Yeah, credit has to be given to the to the the videographer. I don't think I've ever seen something follow the action that much. But this was the the mechanics that we learned, the techniques that we learned just going through that process and me having to film a lot. Just, you know, you were always filming stuff at your academy and. A lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, it would be me or whoever. We all just would kind of share that responsibility. And it was just trying to do it as, as cool as possible. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's something, there's something, there's a whole other side to the demo, too. Um, of course, you have the edited form that you see on YouTube and, you know, there's music and it's kind of action, action. Um, something always to lead the eye and keep you engaged. Um, with a little bit of storytelling of, you know, the arc of the struggle. But doing it live, you know, there was an unpredictability in, like, who is going to be chosen, because yeah. that was, the, you know, who shows up that day. Um, also, you know, just, I, I think that that live element and the unpredictability of that section of the test mixed with, because you, you basically don't even worry. You don't know who you're going to be sparring. You know you'll end with me, yeah. but um, the utter predictability of the first half and the total spontaneity of the second half that that added um, some kind of rich element that I really enjoyed as a as an instructor being able to to share and create that. And like you said, jujitsu is in many ways performance art. Yeah. Whether you're teaching to a small group or a large group, uh, whether you're practicing your lines sparring and nobody's watching or you're sparring and everybody's watching because you're the only you're the only uh active match on the mat so there there's some element of uh performance art in it that's uh it's cool it's a it's a creative challenge yeah i remember people would be nervous during those tests not knowing if they would be called upon to be one of the 
the rolling partners totally. and, and man, there's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, 20 family members sitting out there and 30 guys on the mat and everybody would, you know, want to bring their best game. It was a very interesting and different people were successful in different ways. Like some, some people, they, they tightened up under that pressure. Other people, they just were able to sort of go beyond themselves into something really beautiful. So it was interesting to, to, you know, there's that kind of element to it as well. Mm. So do you think you're, you'll incorporate belt demos or some elements of that at, at this new academy? Yeah, I have to. Uh, I have to. I mean, I don't think... Just checking look, in. I mean, you put a lot of work into those belt demos. I mean, how many thousands, tens of oh. thousands of edits <laughs> have you made, you know, putting those... I, I don't have the energy to do that. I don't think I'm going to f- film all of them and throw right. them on YouTube. Yeah. But I do think that there should be, again, an objectively measurable way to demonstrate your skill and to show the world that you are, in fact, a blue belt or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I am so excited. I'm proud of you for, for doing this Thank and you. taking that step to keep jujitsu in your life, craft your own environment, bring fire to a local community. There's, dude, it's, it's good work all the way around. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's part of the answer. And I think you're doing something really, really good. Thank you. I, I hope so. I, you know, I, you've, you set the bar extremely high. I hope I can, you know, cast a small shadow that's, that's similar. No, no, you're, you're on your way, man. And I can't wait to get out there and hang out and share a little technique. And, um, yeah, man, it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. So, um, I want to thank you for, for coming on today i think that uh i mean we've known each other and been creative partners for a long time but to be able to share this publicly you know um you know your new vision which i know you you need a new creative project all the time yeah expert photographer videographer musician programmer and now kick-ass academy owner we'll see (laughs) ladies and gentlemen (laughs) this is rick ellis And um, thanks for having me, Roy. I I appreciate it. And I'm glad to see you having a podcast because this is great. Finally, if you don't already own the collection, then you should. In a world where education is essential, the collection teaches literacy. It's a comprehensive library and a must-have guide for men and women looking to discover who they are understand the art and come out on top in the physical debate don't miss out on a chance for real understanding the collection is now available and you can get 10 percent off with the code podcast till next time my friends gratitude 